Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Clark Kellogg from CBS, Villanova's Jay Wright, and Virginia's Tony Bennett. That's right. The last two national championship coaches, 2018 Villanova and 2019 Virginia. So we got a great show for you, covering a lot of different topics as for Villanova. They're coming back off a long pause. They'll be playing for the first time in 2021. Tuesday night against Seton Hall. Virginia had its pause in December. Couldn't play Michigan State at home. Couldn't play Villanova, coincidentally, in the Garden. They had their most impressive performance of the week, destroying Clemson on the road at Little John. And they look like a top 10 team. So sure enough, they were in my top 10. Uh, Clark Kellogg from CBS, who, of course, has been a part of their coverage for quite a long time now. We discussed March Madness, his trip out west to see Utah State get a sweep of San Diego State. Overall, comparing Baylor and Gonzaga and Gonzaga to that 2018 Villanova team. I kind of like that comparison, certainly offensively. And some other teams out there, of course, Iowa, Luca Garza, the Big Ten. And then an overall arching issue here that I will continue to hammer every week on this show. And that is, for those coaches that question whether or not we should be playing right now, The question is not whether we should. The question is whether or not you want to. Because if we're going to say we shouldn't be playing, then you know what? There should be zero sports. Zero. Okay, meanwhile, gymnastics is going on. Wrestling is going on. Volleyball is going on at the collegiate level. Professionally, obviously, all the sports are playing. So we can't just make this about men's basketball. Yes, women's basketball programs, high-profile ones, Duke, And Virginia now, San Jose State just opted out out west. But look, if they don't want to play, they don't have to play. That's okay. You can get the year back. Coaches, you can not participate. That's okay. I'm going to quote Mark Few here from Gonzaga, who was on College Game Day with ESPN. He even said, hey, media members, if you don't feel comfortable, you can opt out. That's okay. No one is going to judge you. This is an unprecedented year in all of our lives, not just college athletes and pro athletes, everyone, everyone, okay? So you have that right, no one will judge you, but you do not have the right to say no one else should if they can do it fairly, okay? Every player I have talked to on these platforms wants to play. And I will tell you this because I already taped it I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to hear this from Jay Wright and Tony Bennett, but especially Jay Wright. He went to his players, their second pause. Do you want to keep playing? And they all said yes. Okay? They all said yes. They want to play. Now, there have been some players around the country that have opted out, and that's fine. If you don't feel comfortable, that's fine. 
So I want to stop with this talk. We know the realities are there. Everyone is dealing with it in every facet of our society, okay? But I'm telling you that the aspect of actually competing and doing something that you love, you cannot put a price on what that does to ease some anxiety, some stress. Look, I know I'm a parent. I have a daughter who is a theater major who cannot do theater, okay? Because there is no theater right now. Athletes can play their sport. They know it. They feel grateful. They feel blessed that they can do it. So we should not be on the sidelines saying no, 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 because there has been too much stress, too much sadness, too much isolation not to allow an outlet if it can be done safely. And for the most part, it has been. Course has been positives. Course has been pauses. Course has been postponements and cancellations. And there will continue to be till we get to March Madness. And hopefully when we get in the controlled environment in Indy, that will stop because everyone's going to be tested every day. Hopefully they come in with a clean bill of health going in. And by the way, the majority of games are still getting played and the level of basketball has been tremendous, much better than we could ever thought. So I want to direct you to my Power 36 versus the AP poll. And I don't want to go over the whole thing because you can check this out, obviously, on all our social media accounts. But I just want to stress a couple quick things. One, glad to see Alabama ranked 18. I have an eight. They beat Tennessee. They're undefeated in the SEC. The one that is still a head scratcher, and I just don't, I'm just not quite sure what it's going to take for Boise State to get recognized. Uh, They're playing great. They're at 15, and yet they're nowhere to be found in the top 25. And Purdue, I have them at 25, not in the AP poll. Watch Purdue, and you'll know. They're worthy of a ranking. So pay attention. That's my soapbox on that. All right. So we want to get to our topics here to discuss around the country. Let's start off with Clark Kellogg from CBS. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Clark Kellogg from CBS Sports. And Clark, we are nearing the latter part of January. It has been an unprecedented season, obviously an unprecedented year in all of our lives. So at this point in time, despite all the disruptions, some of the postponements, how would you assess the quality of play, especially on the offensive end to this point in the season? I think it's really been good, Andy, quite honestly. And you always have to look at things in context. You're a reporter, have been for a long time. There's always context to whatever you're observing or writing. So clearly we knew coming into this unique circumstance that it was going to be difficult, but I'm happy to see that on average 75 to 80% of the games are being played. And in most cases, particularly at the offensive end, the quality has been quite good. There've been some memorable games, some really good, exciting, competitive games. And I think that will continue despite the disruptions and the pauses guys want to play. They're committed to playing and they're making the best of the circumstances, coaches and players alike. And I think we'll have good quality basketball the rest of the way. And I've been impressed and pleased with um, how things have unfolded in terms of what I've seen on the floor. Yeah, I keep reiterating this, that every single person I talk to, players, coaches, and I, almost every day, they all want to play. And if, if someone didn't, they've already opted out 
Obviously, we've seen it on the women's side, and no one should judge you. If you want to leave and come back next year, that's fine. Player or coach or anyone involved in this. And obviously, it's incredibly stressful. But to your point, everyone that wants to be there has been all in despite, you know, incredibly difficult circumstances. Let's look at the top first. Okay. Gonzaga and Baylor. Clearly, they've, and I say this because Villanova's been on pause for quite a while. So uh, I do think they can be in that group, but we got to wait and see Mm -hmm. as they come back. But Gonzaga and Baylor have separated themselves so far. What has impressed you the most? Well, the quartet of guards for Baylor has been absolutely outstanding, both ends of the floor. I don't know if you'll find four better two-way guards in all of college basketball. As a matter of fact, you might be able to go back and look at teams over the last 10, 12, 15 years and not find a team have four this good at both ends. That's one thing. The high-octane efficiency of Gonzaga is clearly of this era in terms of analytics, two-point buckets, timely threes, multiple weapons, point of attack from anywhere on the floor. So that, to me, has stood out about those two teams. You look at Texas and Michigan, I'm not going to discount a Florida State with Leonard Hamilton's group. There are a number of teams that will be fighting for that second part of the top tier. But I clearly think that Gonzaga and Baylor um, have pushed themselves a little bit ahead of everybody else. Tell me if this is a fair comparison offensively. I kind of think back just a couple of years ago to that 2018 Villanova team that won the national championship. I mean, they were clicking at such a high level. And then you think about someone like Dante DiVincenzo, who ends up being the MVP of the Final Four. And you think about the depth of Gonzaga, where a Joel Ayayi can have a triple-double, and he's clearly not the first option. You know, Dante came off the bench for Villanova. What kind of comparisons do you think we can draw between Gonzaga 2021 and Villanova 2018. I like that. I mean, that's not too far back in the future when you talk about that type of explosiveness and versatility offensively for a team. I think the difference is Drew Timmy is more of a traditional big guy. Villanova didn't quite have that, but in terms of wings and guards and the way they played together and how efficient they were passing, catching, and shooting, Those things are really remarkable. So, yeah, I think that's a fair comparison, Andy, quite honestly. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention you were just out West. And uh, in addition to Gonzaga, obviously, there's pretty good basketball being played this season in the Mountain West, Boise State. And you saw Utah State sweep San Diego State. And this is a good example of of you getting out there, being able to see a team like that. Didn't have Sam Merrill. What, What were your impressions? I was very impressed. I've loved that team for the last few years. Craig Smith's done a phenomenal job with the Aggies and being in the, at the venue in the building, that's a great venue. Only had 15, 1600 fans allowed in, but they were loud. And I've seen that venue from a distance and it was great being there in San Diego state without its best player, Matt Mitchell acquitted itself quite well. And I think Brian Dutcher has a team as Matt gets healthy and gets back from that bruised knee, hyperextended knee, they'll have a chance to be right in the mix for a tournament bid. And then Colorado state and Boise state, I've watched them just on video. And those two teams are impressive. Colorado State, especially because they don't have a senior on the roster, Andy. I mean, they are a young, dynamic team, well-coached. So those four look like tournament teams. Can all four get there? TBD. All right, last couple of things here. First, I'm saving the best league for last. You're very familiar, obviously, with the Big Ten. The preseason National Player of the Year, Luca Garza, a team that I would actually put in sort of just 1B right now offensively behind Gonzaga and Baylor, the way Iowa is playing. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you saw them 
uh, against Gonzaga. You know, Joey's camp, when he's playing well, Jordan Bohannon has come back from his hip injury. Yeah. Early in the season, he struggled on threes. Now he's burying them. And obviously, they're getting, you know, good play from Keegan Murray, a freshman, uh, the McCaffrey brothers, Joe Toussaint. So they've got a, a nice compliment around Garza. I wouldn't say he's a traditional, well, I mean, he, he stretched his game out. So yeah. he's not just a big, obviously. But what, how do you assess Luca Garza's game for someone who knows that position well? I, I love his game. I really do. I love his work ethic and his ability to take advantage of his size and strength and utilizing angles. He's terrific. And clearly, much like Baylor and Gonzaga, he separated himself from the pack in terms of player of the year. I mean, he's just been so remarkably consistent and productive. And you're right. That team is one. I mentioned Florida State and Michigan and Texas, but clearly Iowa would fall into that second group as they're currently playing. I like this team a lot. I think they're good enough to get to the final four. Um, Jordan Bohannon actually has reverted back to his norm because he was struggling out of the norm with the three-point shot. This guy's a 40-plus career three-point shooter, so you knew eventually he was going to get hot and start cooking with gas from behind the arc. But they've got weapons. Love Keegan Murray, terrific first-year player. And, you know, this year, Andy, when you talk about big guys, I saw two of them in Logan with Kata and then also um, Nathan Mensa. Mensa really struggled in the second game on Saturday, but there's a ton of big guys that are doing work across the country. How about Travion Williams at Purdue? I mean, there's so many good, solid back-to-the-basket big guys. The guys at Carolina are all good. De'Ron Sharp and um, Brooks and and um, who am I leaving out? Baycock. Yeah, they've got there are a number. I, I looked at the list. How about Liam Robbins in the Big Ten? I mean, there are a number of traditional big guys that also – Hunter Dickinson. Yeah, Dickinson. Hunter at Michigan. Yeah, I had a list of about 25 or 30 of them that are all producing really well for their team. So we're going to see um, a bunch of those guys um, in the tournament come March. All right, on the Big Ten, you played in it. You were in an era where obviously uh, it was rugged. Oh, yeah. It really hasn't changed its character, you know, decades later. But just how would you compare the depth of this league now versus when you played at Ohio State? Yeah, you know, I got that question recently, and I thought about it. There were only 10 teams back in the late 70s, 80s when I played, and everybody had pros because of the nature of the game. Most kids stayed in school for three, four years, so they developed, and there were pros on every roster. Every single roster had NBA guys. And so that quality and that type of competitive depth in a 10-team league was really pretty strong. This is comparable, even though you've expanded to 14 in terms of the depth one through probably 11 or 12 right now. Not the quality of pro prospects, okay, but in terms of competitive balance, um, similar. And lastly, you're very familiar with the state of Indiana, all your work with the Pacers and and obviously playing there, and, and you know how much they value basketball. This is going to be a tournament like no other in the state of Indiana at some iconic venues. How do you think it'll work out? I'm proudly biased. I mean, I basically grew up in Indianapolis. I was 21 when I got drafted by the Pacers. That whole city and region embraced me in a way that I'm forever grateful for. Basketball is in the fabric of the culture of the people there. And obviously handling big time events is something Indianapolis has done at platinum level. And so I think if it had to be one location or one region for a one-time shot, I think Indianapolis is by far a hand-in-glove fit for making it happen. I think it's going to be special um, and really memorable for all the right reasons is, is what my hope is. And I know the people there will embrace it in a way that will make it um, uber special 
for everybody involved, participants and those on the periphery. But um, and it's also nice to be able to um, drive to the final four as opposed to having to get on the plane. Well, Clark, look forward to seeing you there. Uh, Appreciate it. Stay safe. Yep. You do the same, Andy. Great being with you, man. Take care. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, time here for Cats Ranks. And this week, I want to look at the top 10 candidates for the National Player of the Year. That's the Naismith Award, or you can call it any other award. There are a lot of them. But uh, here, roughly mid-season, a little under eight weeks from Selection Sunday on March 14th. All right, let's start at number 10. And you could put a lot of different players at this spot. I debated a lot of different players to go down here at number 10. Uh, And so we're going to go with Charles Bassey from Western Kentucky. The Hilltoppers entered the week of January 18th at 11 and 4. Certainly look like if they get into the NCAA tournament at Conference USA, they could win a game or two. Bassey, the big man, the junior, had some injuries during his career, but he's averaging 17 and 12. Certainly deserving of a player of the year type season in terms of recognition. All right, number nine. A newcomer to this conversation, but he's had a phenomenal season. And that's the freshman down at LSU, Cameron Thomas, averaging 22.1. And uh, he's been shooting, you know, exceptionally high in terms of from the field. Uh, So, uh, you know, I think he deserves recognition right now because he's the reason that LSU is up in that top tier in the SEC with Alabama and Tennessee and maybe Missouri. I think they can hold their ground, but Cameron Thomas certainly is the main reason LSU's in that mix. All right, number eight. Uh, we're gonna go to a little bit of our Big Ten portion here, but the Big Ten deserves it. There are a lot of Big Ten candidates I could have put in here. I will just say this out loud, that Travion Williams from Purdue, Hunter Dickinson from Michigan, I really debated whether or not they should be in the top 10, and they may be by the season's end. At number eight, Trace Jackson Davis from Indiana. Indiana's been up and down, I get it. But Trace Jackson Davis, TJD, averaging 20 points a game, nearly nine boards, shooting 53%. He's doing everything for Indiana. Just hasn't been enough at times. Wasn't enough against Williams and Purdue, but TJD deserves to be in the top 10 right now. At number seven, Marcus Carr from Minnesota. He's had help, no question. Liam Robbins, the transfer from Drake, has been phenomenal. But Marcus Carr is averaging over 20. He's got 5.5 assists a game been just tremendous at home they're undefeated at the barn uh and and as a junior he has raised his level of play taken this program to another level uh so he deserves i think to be in the top 10 at number six and this was tough because there's a lot of different guards you could choose from at baylor they got a four guard attack with mitchell flagler and teague and this fellow, Jared Butler, preseason player of the year candidate. So he's still their lead player, but there've been different games. I've interviewed different players among those four. So in fact, I think I've interviewed all four of them this season because they've all had good games. But Butler averaging 15 and five assists. I think he deserves obviously to be in the top 10. He would be the lead player in that Butler group. All right, so now let's go to the top five. At five, Iodesumu from Illinois, 22 points a game, Six boards, 4.9 assists. He's shooting nearly 50%. The problem is Illinois is struggling right now. That's why he gets to the back end of this first team. He certainly could climb higher if Illinois starts to play up to its potential. But right now, 
I think I got to just have him barely holding on to the first five. He's playing well, but the team is inconsistent. At number four, Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State. Had a big game in helping the Cowboys knock off Kansas. Got a good game when they won Marquette. He's averaging 17 and six. Certainly one of the best players in the country regardless of class. He'll be a top two or three pick in the NBA draft. Now, we get into the Gonzaga portion of our top 10. At number three, Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga. Fellow freshman, I think it's going to be a great race between Suggs and Cunningham with Cameron Thomas right behind in terms of the top freshman in the country. Hunter Dickinson will get in that conversation as well. But Jalen Suggs, not only is he a phenomenal passer, maybe the best passer in the game right now, but he can score in a variety of ways. He showed great leadership, composure. Remember, he's a former quarterback, great football player out of Minnesota, but he's averaging 14 a game, four boards, 4.7 assists, shooting 53%. He's one of the reasons that Gonzaga is undefeated number one team in the country. At number two, Corey Kispert from Gonzaga. 20 points a game, 4.8 boards, 59.3 from the field. The game against Virginia was just out of this world. I mean, he was just stopping, popping, burying threes. His play throughout the course of every big game has been exceptional. He has played himself into a potential National Player of the Year. At number one, hard to knock him off this perch, even though Gonzaga got the best of Iowa, is Luka Garza, who had a great game, by the way, up in South Dakota against Gonzaga. But he's averaging 26.9, 8.7 boards, and Iowa's offense is just a hair below Gonzaga and Baylor, if not better than Baylor, but a hair below Gonzaga. They right now look like a Final Four team. A lot of that has to do, of course, with Luka Garza. He has some nice complimentary players around him. I don't want to lessen their importance at all. Jordan Bohannon's back to being himself. Keegan Murray, a freshman, has improved dramatically. The McCaffrey brothers, uh, Joe Toussaint, and of course, Joe Wieskamp and Jack Nunge. So, I mean, there's plenty of players around Luka Garza. But right now, midseason, he is still the National Player of the Year leader and the favorite to win the award. And now joining me are March Madness, March Madness 365, going over head coach Jay Wright. And Jay, you guys are coming off of a pretty long pause. You know, you've only lost one game, but that was seems like it was another season ago. You guys were really rolling, for the most part, prior to the pause, but you haven't played in 2021. And you yourself contracted COVID-19. So first off, how are you feeling? I'm great, man. Thanks for asking. Uh, I'm great. My family's great. It's a shame that I was the one that started this and got us into this pause. Just curious, your own symptoms, were you ever really down or was it just sort of modified? Yeah, I, it was like a bad flu. I'd probably say six, seven days I was laid up. You know, n- nothing serious like a lot of people are, are going through. Not, you know, obviously not hospitalized or anything, but just like a, a really bad flu. And like everyone else, I mean, is it to the point where you're wondering sort of where did I even get it? Actually, yes. We moved, so we thought maybe from the, because we, we've been very, very careful and, and not gone out. So the only f- place we feel like we've had contact is when we moved, maybe having something to do with anybody that came into the house during that time. So, Jay, it's interesting because you've experienced sort of the bubble life. We were down there together at Mohegan Sun, out in the real world playing games, and then back to quarantine. So you've seen sort of the full gamut right now uh, of this season. How would you assess where this team is at right now? Really, Andy, I don't know where we are. One of the things coming out of quarantine is that, you know, everybody isn't on the same schedule. You know, we have um, 
two players that tested positive later that forced our second quarantine that, you know, haven't been able to practice or do anything. We've had three or four days with the other guys, so we haven't had a full team to practice. So you never know, but everyone's gone through that this year. So that's what this season is. It's all about how you handle it. And so for this week's games against uh, Seton Hall and Providence, at what strength will you guys be? You know, as I talk to you, Andy, I don't know yet because um, the way we're doing it, our protocols are, even though we're in quarantine for 10 days, the players that test positive have to wait 14 days to get their heart checkups for a myocarditis. So we haven't gotten results back from that. So we don't know if we'll have two of the guys that tested positive. We did have a couple guys who had injuries on the way out. So we'll have at least seven scholarship players. I, I promise you that. Conditioning-wise, obviously basketball-wise, when they're in quarantine or isolation, they can't do that. How much were your players able to do any kind of conditioning? It was um, a real matter of logistics for our staff. Right? And, and uh, Dwayne Anderson, our director of operations, did an amazing job getting guys in, you know, in the beginning of quarantine, they had to get in the gym by themselves with no one else in the gym. They had to get there. Uh, by themselves so they didn't have contact with any other people and then we we got to a point where we got you know like two three guys at a time and and then we practiced as a team for about three or four days so but given that I think we did a really good job I think our strength coach John Shackleton and most importantly our players did a really good job of staying in shape now we play Seton Hall Tuesday night we'll see I'm sure we're not in mid-season form but I think we'll be good enough to give them a good battle. So as we've all been sort of putting together these weekly rankings and things like that, and you've seen, because you are a student of the game as well, you know, how well Gonzaga is playing and Baylor and some of the other teams in the Big 12 uh, and around the country. But, you know, we've kept sort of Villanova in this top group with Iowa, with Gonzaga and Baylor. At this juncture, where would you put Villanova? Yeah, it's been comical, to be honest with you, to watch Everybody else keeps playing games and they get knocked off once or twice. We don't play, so we just stay there, you know, up at three. And I, and I get why, you know, some people have to do that. They don't want to penalize you for, you know, you didn't lose. So, but we're, we're certainly not playing at a level that those teams are playing right now. So it, it's kind of unfair to have us up there, but it's part of the pandemic. We haven't, none of us have done this before. I do think we can get there by the end. It's just going to be really interesting when we, I don't even know if our Seton Hall game will tell everything. I think by Saturday when we play Providence, we will have everybody back, I hope. And then we can start our process. It's all about where you are at the end of the year, too, and or all the time. But um, I think we have a chance to be a really good team by the end. So, Jay, a couple of very quick things before I let you go, and I appreciate your time as always. So my soapbox and pet peeve is for those – in the business, and we're all stakeholders here, okay, that we're all dealing with an unprecedented year. But if you choose not to participate, whether you're a coach, player, media member, you name it, you don't have to, and you shouldn't be penalized or judged, and it's okay. So to that point, and I don't want to name names, but for those that have spoken out and say, I don't know why we should be doing this, should we not, should we do and then they continue to, to coach in this, you know, environment. You know, I'm just curious your opinion of, of at any point, and we've seen this on the women's side. People can say, you know what? I don't want to do this. It's too much. Players have done it. And that's okay. My thought is, and I've been a part of a number of committees and, and have talked at our university and with other coaches about this. If we step back and just look at everyone's trying to do the best they can. You know, you look from the top at the NCAA is responsible for everybody. 
they're trying to do the best they can to give the athletes the opportunity to play and the coaches the opportunity to coach. And I think they've done a great job where if you opt out, you get this year back. So I think we are trying to give everybody the opportunity. We've done that with our own team where I, especially when we went into the second quarantine, we were in a hotel for 10 days. We got back to our dorms for one day, two guys tested positive. We had to go back to that hotel. That was for all of us. And I didn't have to be one to go, but it was crushing mentally to have to go back in there. It was like going into solitary confinement. And I said to all of them, guys, if this is too much for anybody, I get it. I'm with you. I'm not going to the hotel. You are. So I'm good with whatever you decide. So I think we have to be cognizant of the fact that everyone's trying to do their best. This isn't going to be perfect. Everyone isn't going to play the same amount of games. Everyone isn't going to be healthy at the same time at the end of the year when we crown a national champion. But that's not anyone's fault. Let's let everyone do their best, do what they do. I think we're doing a great job of giving people the opportunity of respecting their rights if they don't want to be in it and no one's criticizing them. And then let's all do the best we can and try to enjoy it. Well, I agree with you 100%. And the last thing is, well, first of all, clearly your players said they want to keep playing because that's what you're doing. And so they wanted to be in. You've missed six games. There are enough dates to get it in. Right. So you physically could do it. The question is, of course, practice time. You got to watch regular injuries. Forget COVID for a moment. What do you think the chances are that you can get these other six games made up between now and March 6th? It's what we're working with at the Big East right now. And, and Val Ackerman, Stu Jackson, uh, our commissioners, are doing a great job. But what we learned, Villanova, being in the bubble, and you were there, we played, we were thinking back then, let's get as many games as possible. And we played four games in six days in a bubble. And by the sixth day, it wasn't the physical fatigue. It was the mental fatigue that really wore our guys down. And we learned something from that. So – there's a balance right now that we're going through at Villanova where we have a responsibility to the Big East. Where, you know, these other teams need games too. So we want to try to do the best we can to fit in as many games as possible. I think it's it's going to be very difficult to get in 20 league games. And that's why I say some, some teams are just not going to be able to get in 20 league games. And that's okay. Some teams will. Some teams will be have 18. And I just think we all got to do the best we can. And that's a big challenge right now for us with the Big East is trying to fulfill our responsibility toward the Big East and get as many games in as possible for everybody else without injuring our guys or mentally damaging our guys to the point where it could hurt them towards the end of the year. And then, of course, you know, I still think these conference tournaments are fluid. Yes, they're happening as of you and I talking at this moment. We'll see what happens uh, if they end up happening, obviously, as we get closer to the tournament, because that's ultimately the holy grail for everyone uh, in every facet. Jay, I'm so glad that you're feeling better, and we can't wait to see Villanova, whether it's a half team, full team, just seeing Villanova back on the court um, will be great to see this week. Me too, man. I've never been so excited to play a game. It'll be cool, but great talking to you, buddy. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Virginia head coach Tony Bennett. And Tony, I last saw you in the Mohegan Sun where you guys split a couple of games. Things were going well, then the pause. You've come out of the pause, and that game against Clemson, 85-50, was clearly the best game you guys have played this season. How do you explain it? 
Well, I mean, obviously, you know, the saying shooting covers over a multitude of mistakes and we, we shot lights out and we played solid defense. Clemson was coming off of a bit of a pause as well. So, you know, it was kind of a perfect storm, but Clemson is a good team and, and Brad does a great job with them. So we were ready to play, played well. And I think we've gotten better as the season's worn on. You know, you mentioned the Mohegan Sun, San Francisco beat us there. And then, and then we, we had a pause and we played Gonzaga and they just, you talk about humble pie. I mean, they're so good. And we learned from that game and I think have just gone to work, tightened some of the rotation. Guys have improved and we're in a better place. But it's like the saying goes, you're never as good as you think and you're probably never as bad as you think. So somewhere in there lies the truth. But I was really um, excited about, you know, how we responded against the, on the on the road kind of, you know, at Clemson. They had 2,000 fans, which is a lot. It's the most we've seen this year in that setting and the way, you know, the balance played out offensively and then the collectiveness defensively. So, look, every team has handled this pause and I would say the majority have had to do it in some form, whether you know it was in July or interrupting the season. How would you say your players handled that disruption? I mean, we've had it. This is like three times it's happened to us with either, well, number of times where we haven't been able to play because of whether it's been us or someone else because of COVID issues. Uh, we've been shut down for 10 days. Um, that's happened a couple times, once with our whole team. The other time it was partial. Some guys have missed you just try to make the most, but I don't know if there's a perfect way, but I got asked a question earlier today. What have you learned from it? All this, what's the key thing? And I said, probably hope, <laughs> you know, because the present is so uncertain that you don't know, are we going to get to play? You wait to hear from your trainer. What's the test results going to be? And so you just try to be hopeful that, you know what, when you get to play, what's coming is good and, and rejoice in things that are happening in the right way, but not, not get too discouraged when you have these delays or things go on because you can't figure it out. You can't, it's, it's not a sure bet week to week, game to game. And so you just, you try to be hopeful, celebrate the good things and know, you know, better days are coming. And then again, when you do get to play, say, all right, let's just lock in and, and try to enjoy this and be as good as we can. Yeah. So to that point, when you get to the arena and you know, hey, we're playing this game and I got all my players, uh, they're not going to take that away during the actual game. How much does the stress get relieved, if you will, and that you can sort of stay in that moment, focus on the task at hand and you don't have to worry about, you know, the testing and or any of that stuff. They're obviously not masked when they're actually playing and they pretty much follow the protocols during an actual game. You know, how much does that sort of release a little bit of some of those stressors and anxiety? Yeah, all depends how you're playing, right? Against Gonzaga, it didn't feel real uh, ease or there was, uh, you know, stress-free. And then against Clemson, it was better. So, uh, no, but but you do appreciate because you, you can't take for granted the opportunity to play and to get to those points. And you know how much your players want to play. Um, and I think that part is good. But it's still competition. You're still trying to be ready and, and grind it out as good as you can. So it's some of that, but it, a lot has to do with where your team's at and how you're feeling about them. So you mentioned Gonzaga. The last national championship was won by you guys in 2019. I kind of see a parallel, at least offensively, with that 2018 Villanova team. I'm just curious. I mean, you have built a championship team. What did you see in Gonzaga that would tell you, you know what, this team has the goods? Well, they were, you know, against us and, and really everyone. Mark is a heck of a coach. I've, I've got to coach against... Coach Few when I was at Washington State, obviously, for those years. And 
they're very talented with their individuals and they're very well coached. And that's a dangerous combination. And they got some maturity. And then they have some athleticism with their skill, with their maturity. They can stretch you when they're playing Kispert at the four, Timmy at the five, but there's depth. And then the athleticism with their guards, they can play two point guards. They're just, they really do the job and they, they run good stuff that can, you know, they can exploit what you want. I think they can play in the half court. Obviously they can get it going in transition. And then they're serious about their defense. So, you know, you can't just be all one only offense and not worry about the defense or all defense, no offense. You need a blend of both. And they've shown they're elite offensively and really good defensively. So you take one thing away and I think they can answer it with some other stuff. They're passing all that stuff. So again, that was firsthand. It'll be, can they, can teams stay healthy matchups? Who's playing well at that time? You know how all that stuff goes. We've lived that, but um, there's a few teams that look like they're at another level and then everyone else is just fighting to be as good as they can. Well, to that point, what are the chances you guys can get up to that level come March? (laughs) That'd be great. You know, worry about today for tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. That's what that's what it says in the good book, Andy. So I'm going to worry about today and getting better. Um, Look, if you had asked me that two weeks ago, I said, we're just trying to survive. Then, you know, you have a, a great game and it's really just can you continually improve? And because, like we said, it's so uncertain. You know, you just don't know what's going to happen, what what kind of rhythm you'll have going in, what teams are playing, what, you know, there's could be some unique pauses at that time. So you just, again, be hopeful, as we talked about, and and get as good as you can in the moment. And that's um, if we shoot like that and play like we did against Clemson. OK, we, I, I like our chances, but that's a one off. And hopefully we keep moving towards that. Last two things. Kia Clark, freshman, he wins the national championship. And just in watching him. It seems like he's as confident now as he was then. What is it about Kihei Clark that you saw at the beginning that he continues to sort of exude that confidence regardless of his year in school? Last year was an important year for him. His first year, he was terrific. He played with Ty, Kyle, DeAndre, that team. And he kind of just had to be a great on-ball defender, opportunistic, do the things that were needed. His second year, all those guys left for the NBA, and it was a lot on him, and he – had some really good games, but he also had to grow through being the man and almost unfairly had too much put on his plate as a perimeter player. And this year, I think he's kind of combined both of those experiences and is in the right spot. But fearless, big. When you got guys that have that big of a heart and and don't shy away from competition, though they can maybe not be perfect, they're effective. And that's what I love. You know, everybody's probably doubted him. You know, I understand that. You know, he's a smaller guy and he just he refuses to yield or back down from challenges. And I think the older he gets, the more he understands his game, what's needed for the team to be good. And that has come together nicely. And he's obviously been a bright spot. And the last thing, Tony, I just had a conversation with Jay Wright. The second time they were on pause, he went to his guys and said, look, I know this is hard. You're going back into the quarantine. If you don't want to do this, that's okay. Everyone said, we want to do this. I'm curious from your team, if you had to have that conversation, I mean, clearly they wanted to because they're back playing, but, you know, just what that reaction was, if you even had to have that conversation. Ironically, we, you know, we were supposed to play Michigan State, um, couldn't play them. And then Villanova, we were supposed to play. And, you know, we have a 10-day contact tracing quarantine at our school, you know, some are seven, some are 14. And that kind of was an issue. So we couldn't play Villanova. We ended up playing Gonzaga. That's how that game came about. And it's challenging. But the thing you know, players want to play. And so 
I think guys are willing to do, yeah, they'll get frustrated, but as long as there's that hope again of potentially playing, I think they're willing to do it. So, um, you know, I think that goes without saying. Tony, appreciate it. I know more good things are to come for this team. Stay safe and we'll talk soon. You too, Andy. Thanks. And now it's time for March Chadness. Chad Acock from Turner Sports. And Chad, a little Murphy's Law here. I got a little boastful last week because when I was like 33 and 16 or something like that, I think I was doing pretty well. And uh, I posted that and then uh, came back to bite me because I had a rough start to the week. I got a couple games I thought I felt, you know, obviously uh, I'm going to tout that we're uh, big time wins. Minnesota over Michigan, Virginia over Clemson. Yeah. Uh, You were in attendance for that latter one. That's right. But overall, a little rough. Yeah, rough performance. I mean, you were coming off an eight and one week, like you said, 33 and 16. NCAA.com has been kind of tracking your performance here. And yeah, you went 0-4 in the midweek games. I think you picked two home teams, two road teams, and you, you got them flipped. So you went 0-4. But you did finish 3-2 and on Saturday, so you got back to a 3-6 and week. Let's see if we can rebound. We don't want to harp too much on the losses. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the midweek games, not as great. We got a loaded Saturday, but we'll give you one here Tuesday night. Number six, Tennessee at Florida. Tennessee, they've strung together some wins here after losing to Alabama at home. But Florida, they've been a little up and down in league play, most recently losing uh, by three at Mississippi State. Uh, Who do you like here? I like Tennessee. You know, look, Florida's going through a very difficult situation. They're still trying to figure themselves out without Keontae Johnson. We're, We're thrilled that he's actually back being a part of the program, but obviously not on the floor. But Tennessee's a better team. And we are in a point in the season now where without large crowds, some of these places do have some fans, but it really negates it at this juncture. And so I'm going to go with Tennessee on the road. Clearly, we're seeing a line being drawn that Tennessee and Alabama, clearly, I think right now are the two best teams in the SEC. I agree. I think it's Tennessee, Alabama, and a pretty wide gap. Um, But yeah, I agree with that pick. Now let's look at Friday night. Number seven, Michigan at Purdue. And Andy, don't look now, but Purdue's getting hot at the right time. And Andy, you're always kind of ahead of the game with getting a a good hot team uh, in your power 36, maybe before the AP ranks them. And that's what you did with Purdue. You got Purdue at number 25. Purdue not ranked in the AP this week. But Purdue, they've won at Michigan State and Indiana recently. Now they've got a huge week. they got to go at Ohio State Tuesday uh, before this big showdown with Michigan. Before this game, Michigan will have to face Maryland at home for in the road. Who do you like to win? So I went one and one with Michigan last week. This is a tough call because you're right. Purdue is playing much better. And Michigan just had a you know poor outing against Minnesota. Minnesota at the barn is incredibly tough uh, to take down. They're undefeated so far this season. You know, maybe I'm going to jinx it. I have a hard time going against Michigan three times in a row. So as well as Purdue has played, Michigan's a better team. And I'm going to feel a little bit better going with the Wolverines here. And maybe this is me overcompensating for going against the Wolverines twice last week. So uh, I'm going to go with Michigan to win at Purdue. Yeah, I think it's a fair pick. You got the top 10 team. It is on the road. Mac Arena, tough place to play. But uh, I like this pick in the, in the reduced crowd uh, setting. Now let's look at number two, Baylor at Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State, they already took down Kansas at home. You think they add another big home win here to their resume? Well, I've learned my lesson with Baylor. I'm just not going to pick against them right now. Look, we're taping this before they play Kansas. So I will just put that out there, regardless of what happens in that game. But I still feel 
very confident that Baylor can beat Oklahoma State on the road just like they did against Texas Tech. You know, the four-guard lineup that they can run out there is just, I think, too much to handle for a lot of these different teams. I think they can run different guys at Cade Cunningham. I mean, essentially, you know, that's 20 fouls to run at Cade Cunningham. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I think that he's going to have a difficult time with with that four-guard lineup. So I'm going with Baylor. No doubt. I like the pick. How about number 23, UConn? At number 11, Creighton. Creighton was rolling before they lost at uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse. But UConn, they've been playing exceptionally well despite not having James Booknight of late. Who do you like to win this Big East matchup? So Creighton, you know, played that Butler game without Marcus Zagorowski. You know, I mean, that's taking their best player off the floor. Yeah, it's the heart of the team. And they ended up losing overtime. But I'm going to go with Creighton here because we know for sure Booknight's not going to be able to play because he's going to be out for a month with the elbow surgery. As well as UConn played even without him, I think this would be just too difficult to win in Omaha. I'm going with Creighton to get the season sweep of the Huskies. Yeah, I like Creighton to win too, but it is good to see UConn ranked again this season after a little bit of a, a drought. How about number 20, Clemson at Florida State? We just touched on Clemson. They had that, you know, the pause where they couldn't practice as a team, weren't playing games, had that tough, just absolute disaster on both ends. You know, worst situation for Clemson, best case scenario for Virginia. They're looking to rebound. I think we'll know how they rebound when we see how they play in their midweek game against Georgia Tech. But meanwhile, Florida State's playing well at home. You know, they hung 105 on NC State, and they gave UNC a loss as well. How do you think Florida State does on their home court? I think they beat Clemson. I think Clemson's coming back to earth a little bit. You saw them in person. Obviously, they had defended at a great clip prior to the Virginia game. But so does Florida State. I mean, Florida State historically has been a very good defensive team. So I'm going to go with the Seminoles here. I think that they will end up protecting their home court. They've got uh, essentially one blip there over the last couple of years. So I think Florida State wins. Yeah. yeah. Clemson had the number one Ken Palm defense entering that game against Virginia. And Virginia put 85 on them and it looked pretty easy. I'll be curious how Clemson does in that midweek game. It's a two-hour road trip to Georgia Tech. If they can knock off the rust, you know, just kind of put this loss behind them, get a little bit of confidence and momentum going into Tallahassee, I think they could get that upset win, if you can call it upset win on the road. The next game I'm going to give you, Andy, is number 15, Ohio State, at number 10, Wisconsin. For the Buckeyes, you can never really count them out on the road. Uh, Two of their last three games have included a road-ranked win against a top-15 team at that time. How do you like their chances of winning at Wisconsin? Well, they certainly are more than capable. Indiana almost went in there one. Maryland obviously went in there one. The call center is not what it was, certainly without um, Big Red in there. But I think Wisconsin had its wake-up call with the Maryland loss and with the humbling defeat at Michigan. And I think as well as Ohio State has been playing, I'm going to go with uh, Wisconsin to knock off Ohio State. We'll see a former Buckeye, Micah Potter, has a big game in this outing. Yeah, humbling defeat uh, really seemed like the theme for a couple of teams last week. I like that. Now Duke at Louisville. And the last time these two teams faced off at Louisville, <laughs> Louisville blew that 23-point lead with less than 10 minutes remaining to Zion and RJ. Uh, but that was two years ago. How do you like the rematch shaking out this year? I like Louisville. Uh, Duke has not been 100% over the last couple of weeks. And we saw what happened when they went to Virginia Tech. They're just clearly not an elite team this season. Louisville, um, had it not been for Isaiah Wong, you know, his 30 points, 30 points that he had for Miami, Louisville would be right there with Virginia, Virginia Tech. They've taken a hair bit below them right now in the standings. But I think they'll reset 
get back on the winning track and take out Duke. Big win for the Cards at home. The last game, Saturday night, number 19, Missouri at number six, Tennessee. Uh, we already touched on Tennessee. We talked about how strong they've been. Missouri, they're ranked number 19 in the AP, Andy, but you don't have them in your power 36, if I'm not mistaken. Andy, you're not a believer in Mizzou. Uh, what do you think? I am a believer, and I debated putting them back in, but uh, I want to see a little bit more. You know, I still think their experience will help them get into the tournament, potentially win a game or two. But, um, you know, I had them sort of on the cusp on the end. Maybe I should have put them in. That's the one that I really wrestled with uh, on Sunday night as I was putting it together. But I don't think they're going to be Tennessee on the road. They got smacked by Tennessee at home. Uh, I think the Vols get the sweep. Yeah, I think this will definitely be the easier game for Tennessee, despite it being against a ranked opponent. Um, so, yeah, Vols roll at home. Well, Andy, that's, that's another nine games. Uh, you went 8-1 and one two weeks ago. You went 3-6 and six last week. Let's hope we can get back to another positive above 500 week this week, Andy. I'm feeling fairly confident. I hope so. Thanks, Chad. Yeah, you got it. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. As always, thank you to our Turner Sports crew, Chad Acock, Abby Stoltz, Michael Kaplan, Sean Bartley, and the entire NCAA.com team who are doing an outstanding job repurposing this podcast in various forms on all our social media platforms. Please stay safe, everyone, and we'll talk again next week.